Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. We talked last week about a healthy perspective of singleness. Like, how can we get God's view uh, towards singleness? And so, uh, if I were entitling this or branding this a particular message today, it, w- it would probably be a healthy perspective, uh, simply of marriage, uh, is, is what I would I would brand this. Now, let me give you let me give you these two resources. I want you to, if you're married, if you're engaged, or whatever, or, or you maybe know someone that's maybe struggling in their marriage. Let me pause and say this: this message, if you're single or if you're divorced, or maybe if you're a widow, this message is still for you, because I believe that every member is a minister. It's the priesthood of the believers. So I believe that every time you come in here, even if it's a topic that you're not dealing with or walking through or struggling through or focusing on, God can equip you to do ministry. You know, my job is not actually to do ministry. It's to equip you to do ministry. And so as we lean into moments like this, regardless if you're married or you're single or whatever, you can be equipped so that God can use you to minister to people uh, in their marriage. And I believe that he wants to do that. But let me give you these two resources. I want you to write this down really quick. Two really good resources. The first one is by Dr. Timothy Keller. It's The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, if you want to read a great book, The Meaning of Marriage is a good book uh, to check out. It's, it's a fresh resource. Another one is From This Day Forward by uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle. Pastor's the largest church in America. I think it's like 100,000 people go to this church, uh, which is just a few more than ours. But anyway, <clears throat> but in his book, in his book, he, he says these things. Now, I can't unpack all these, but I'm going to pick one of them that I do want to talk about. But he says, if you want to have a, a marriage that flourishes, then you have to do these five things. Number, number one is you have to seek God. So you seek God with all your heart. You know, you seek first the kingdom of God. You seek him first. Your spouse is not your number one. Bunch of, bunch of love, my number one, she's my number, no, she's not. She's your number two. <laughs> Jesus is your number one. She's your number two. Okay, you're gonna love her better as a number two if he's your number one. So you seek God, so you seek God number one. Number two, he says, fight fair. You're going to fight in your marriage. You're going to fight in your relationships. It's going to happen, but you've got to learn to fight fair. Uh, so he gives some ground rules in there, and so you may want to avail yourself of that. But seek God, fight fair, have fun. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you saw that married couple? They just sat there eating their peas, staring at each other. They don't talk. They, don't, they, they, they just, just stank face, just terrible. And I'm having fun. You, you, it, it, I'm telling you, a little bit of fun could revolutionize your marriage. Just do something fun. Just do something fun. Uh, see God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure. Um, that you want to pursue purity uh, in your marriage. And that the enemy is quick, he, he's always coming at us trying to pervert our marriage or pervert our mind to get us thinking twisted thoughts about sexuality and different things. So we want to pursue purity. But then this is the last one. This is the one I want to talk about is never give up. Never give up. So Craig says those five things, if you'll do these five things, be committed to these five things, seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never give up, then your marriage will flourish. Now here, I want to say this for just a moment today, because we're going to read the passage of scripture that we read last week where it it addresses marriage and addresses divorce in there. Um, I, I do want to make this clear. Like we're going we're gonna to unpack the concession around divorce and maybe mention that a little bit. Um, but what I do know about this environment, just like last week, as I said last week, speaking to singles, I'm not married. I have kids. I get it. I understand that, that maybe a single person last week delivering a profound message would carry more weight. Um, I, I had somebody actually tell me, they were like, you know, Jason, I don't know if you're really the expert to talk about 
about singleness. And, and, and so I just, I just reminded him, I'm like, I'm not an expert to talk about anything, but God's word is truth and it's the standard. And while my words may not carry weight because I have a certain experience or because I have a certain status or title, his word always carries weight. His word is flawless, the Bible says. And so that's why we look to scripture. But, but last week I said this statement. I said, I don't want to come across insensitive or ignorant. And I feel the same burden again this week is that here's what I know about a room like this is that there's some of you in here today, probably all of us in here today, you have been affected by divorce in some way, shape, or form. Uh, maybe you're the product of a divorced home, and so you watch that unravel and unfold. Maybe you had a, a spouse that was unfaithful, and, and it's caused a breach in the marriage, and now you're either contemplating divorce, or maybe you've walked through divorce. Maybe even you were unfaithful, and and you've been divorced. What, what, what I want to say to you is this, is that I love the part in the marriage vow that says from this day forward, because whatever your yesterday was, it does not have to determine your today and tomorrow, but from this day forward, you need to understand God's mercy is new, not just, not just like in the past. Lamentation says his mercy is new every single morning. Every morning when the sun rises, guess what else comes up? The mercy of God. And it doesn't matter what your past has been. His mercy's here. His grace is here. This is a safe place, a place of grace. Uh, even if you've been affected by divorce, which we all have. Um, <clears throat> I was praying and thinking about this before we get into the text. I was thinking about my own experience, the pain of divorce. Um, my, my dad was a pastor, was a minister. Just because you're in ministry, it doesn't exclude you from going through the same things that all of you go through. You guys may not know this. Guess, watch this. I'm human. You may not know that. I'm human. Ask my wife. I'm human. I'm not an AI. You know, I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not a little robot. I'm, I'm human. So I make mistakes. I, make, I have failure. I have screw-ups and stuff like that as well. Um, but my, my dad was in, a pastor. He was in ministry, and he never dealt with his own sexual brokenness. He never dealt with his own emotional brokenness. And whatever you fail to deal with will eventually deal with you. <clears throat> and later on in his life, he suppressed all of his issues and his brokenness. And eventually, under the pressure of ministry, under the pressure of life, under the pressure of having kids and job and all the things that come with life, a human's not meant to carry that. It, eventually, it comes out. And so it came out. So he's a pastor pastoring a uh, church and had, uh, became verbally abusive, became emotionally abusive in our home. Some of you have heard me share some of our story. Uh, he eventually was unfaithful. Um, and, and, and actually had multiple affairs with different people. But I want to take a moment to say this, and this isn't to shame my father. He's since gone to be with Jesus. We eventually reconciled, had a beautiful relationship towards the end of his life. Um, but I think that he would be okay with me sharing this with you if, if these things could help you. Um, but my mom was the person that, that I remember I was bitter at her for years because she kept going back to my dad. My dad would have an affair or he, something would happen. We would, we would lose the church or lose everything. And, and my mom would just, it was like she was so resilient. She would, no matter how bad she was beat down, no matter how bad she was beat up, she would get back up because she had this deep desire for her marriage and her family to work. She would never give up. And finally, my, my dad became physically abusive. And I just want to encourage you with this. I'm, I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to talk about divorce a little bit here. But if you're in an abusive relationship, you need, to, you need to, to step towards safety. I want to say that. Maybe I'll say it like that. That, that, there's, that you should never keep yourself in a place where, where it's unsafe. I, I remember my dad got so violent 
my mom, he was out one night with, with his mistress, and my mom woke my brother and I up. We were probably 13 years old, woke us up in the middle of the night, and we packed our bags and crammed them in this old school. It was a Beretta. Y'all ever remember what a Beretta was? The old school car, a Beretta. I mean, this car was so ghetto. It was so ugly. <clears throat> packed all of our possessions. I mean, we had garbage bags filled with our possessions, stuffed them in our car. My dad was a pastor, pastoring a church. We stuffed all of our possessions in this car. And we went and we hid out at a Motel 6 for three days. And we never came out. My mom was, I remember her crying in the bed, shaking. She was so afraid for her life. And so I know, I'm telling you this, listen, not to, to ask you for sympathy. I just want you to know that I, I stand here today from a place of humility, from a place of I understand the pain of brokenness. Many of you have different stories of what you've seen and walked through and experienced. And so I want you to hear it not from a place of, oh, this guy's up here telling me. No, no, no. I understand. Some of you feel pain to even today. Some of you are walking through that even today. Jesus was asked about, um, about divorce by some religious people. We, we shared this last week. And it says, it says some Pharisees in verse, uh, verse number three, some Pharisees, religious leaders, they came to Jesus and they tried to trap him. They're trying to trap Jesus. It says, uh, they, they asked him this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And they're asking this because there's this rabbinical de debate kind of between these two different camps. And, and if you weren't here last week, we talked about it, so I won't belabor this. But there was one camp that was like, no, 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 there's really, there's no reason to get divorced. And people followed that doctrine, that didache, that teaching, that, 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 that yoke that they would teach and they would put on their followers. But then there was another camp that they followed this, this other guy that said, you know, you could, you could pretty much divorce your wife if she burnt the toast. Like, if she toasts the toast, she's toast, right? Just like, <clears throat> this is how it is. It's a cheesy pastor joke there, but two different camps. And so, so, so they try to trap Jesus seeing like, which way is Jesus going to go with this? Um, and so Jesus's response is this. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? Interesting when the topic about the institution of marriage comes up, Jesus doesn't refer to his own opinion, even though he's the son of God. What does he do? He refers to the scriptures. He says, haven't you haven't you read the scriptures? Like, why are we even talking about this? It's sort of what Jesus is saying. Like, why, like, this should not even be an issue. Like, we should not even be debating this. Haven't you read the scriptures, he said. Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, so he draws back from the creation account, the cadence of creation that was there. And he says, from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The interesting thing is that the cultural moment that you and I live in, um, we have not only devalued in our culture the sanctity of marriage, the institution and the sacredness of marriage, we've made lightly the idea of divorce. I mean, they, the statistics say that 40 to 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. It's just not that big of a deal anymore. It's just, it's, it's, it's such like, it's such an option. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've fallen out of love. And so I'm just going to kind of get divorced. It's, it's, it's that like lighthearted now. And so we view divorce, we, we take away the weight of that word and we just view it as this part of the, the, the definition uh, of divorce, which is just we're, sep we're separating. We're going our different ways. And so literally the, the idea I had in my mind is, and, and divorce does mean separation, but this is the way that our culture sees it. Imagine if you had two pieces of paper, right, right here, these are two, become one. 
This is the way we view the contract now, the contract of marriage. Things aren't working out. I don't like the way she cooks, <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh, we've fallen out of love. We've drifted apart. She's kind of has her own. Th- and so it would be better if we just, we just need to separate. And this is the way that we see it. It's this clean separation, right? Especially if you have a prenup. It's even cleaner, right? We already established it. But that's not the way that the Bible puts it. The Bible says that two become one. It's not a contract. It's, it's actually a covenant. And so to separate is it's not, it's never clean. And so, so divorce is not separating. It's actually shredding. And that's why it hurts so bad. And this is what, this is what many people, their, their, their life looks like. Some people, their life looks like this. It's multiple times. And it's like this. I'm, I haven't been working out, so this is getting a little bit harder for me. <laughs> and this is the reality. And that's why many people live, many people that I love are living with huge, just holes in their heart and their life feels like it's in shreds. And that's always been the enemy's desire, but it's never been God's design. And that's why God, or that's why Jesus brings it back to this place of at the beginning, when, when this covenant is made with God and Adam, and that God establishes this beautiful covenant between this man and this woman. And he says, this is a, there's a, my blessing is on it. It's sacred, it's special, it is beautiful. Now, we talked about this last week, and, and I use a little graphic. I don't know if they're going to put it up on the screen. We talked about, as we, as, as we look at these cultural extremes in our cultural moment, uh, as it relates to marriage, you have one camp that is completely obsessed with marriage. This is an obsession, an unhealthy obsession with marriage. But then you have this other, uh, this other cultural extreme where there's opposition towards marriage. Like, I'm just going to focus on my career. I don't have time for that, right? And so there's these extremes, and they're both very unhealthy. When we get completely obsessed with marriage or when we're completely opposed to marriage, we, we begin to just live our lives out of balance the way we view this very special, sacred thing that God has given us called marriage. And what Jesus did is he comes in in Matthew 19 as it relates to singleness. Remember we talked about it last week, the eunuch. Remember it was kind of awkward, kind of weird. You remember if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen. It's a great, great little message. But Jesus brings it kind of in the middle. He says, no, 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 you shouldn't be obsessed with marriage. You shouldn't be opposed to marriage. You should see marriage as an opportunity and you should see singleness as an opportunity. It's actually a gift. And God gives it to us as a gift. So he doesn't elevate marriage above singleness. And he doesn't elevate singleness above marriage. He brings it to this level playing field. You know what? It's interesting that, uh, I wasn't going to say this, but it's so interesting that, um, that marriage, the, even the covenant marriage, most scholars believe, a lot of them believe that one day marriage will be no more, right? When you get to heaven, Jesus talked about this when he talked about resurrection. I think it was over in, I forget the passage, but he says, well, whenever we're in heaven, they're asking this question. When we're in heaven together, he says, we won't marry and, un, you know, we won't get married and things like that. We'll be like the angels. Um, now, I, I wasn't going to say this because it's a little humorous, but I think this is a fitting point to put a little humor in there because you look so intense. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is good news. This is good news, that teaching that, that even, listen, for, for some of you are in bad marriage, marriages, like, that's good news. Like your marriage will end one day. Like there's hope for you. There's hope. Stick this thing out. There's hope for the resurrection one day. But for others of you, you have this sweet, amazing marriage and, and there'll be a, you know, but the point I wanted to make about it is this, is that, is that you have this limited amount of time to steward a gift. And to, to see it as, an, as, a, as a trust that God has given you. 
And God has given you that person for you to help them reach their full potential, but for them to help you reach your full potential. It's a beautiful gift. It's, it's this incredible opportunity. And so I just want to give you just a few thoughts, a few points in our remaining time together. The first one is this, is that if you're going to have a, a, a theological vision of marriage in a cultural moment that, that, that maybe does not have a biblical view of marriage, if you want to have the right type of view of marriage, then you need to understand this. This is the starting point. This is kind of the, really the, 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 the first step. It's the foundation is marriage is a covenant, not a contract. You have to establish that, that it is not a contract. Think about this. A contract is based on mutual distrust. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. A contract limits my responsibilities and increases my rights. Think about that. In a, in a culture where we, most of us in here are probably renting our houses, right? God, give us all beautiful homes that we own in this city and in this region in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some of you have already paved the way for us. We're following behind you. Let your anointing rub off on us in Jesus' name. But in this, in this renting culture, here's what I've discovered. You've got to pay attention to the contract. But contracts are drawn up, and it's always on both sides. It is, it is for you to, to, to really, to the best of your ability, you try to elevate all of your rights, and you want to mitigate your responsibilities, so, so we just recently had our, our house flooded two times in 30 days, flooded. Our basement is just flooded. And by the way, our master bedroom in our basement and flooded and mold the whole thing. And we had to like rem get call remediation companies and all these things. Uh, the expenses just kept piling up. Luckily, we have a really great landlord and he's been very gracious to us. Um, but there was a little tense moment towards the end of reconciliation. We're looking through our expenses and his expenses. And, um, and so I, I sort of sent a little note, a gracious pastoral note, uh, to him, to him uh, via text. And it came back, and, and really it was like, hey, I'll let you do this, but uh, that's not really my responsibility. No, he doesn't go to our church, so I can talk like this. But anyway, I'm not going to say his name. But, but here's what he did. Watch. Here's what, he, here's what he, he drew upon. Here's what his point of reference was. It wasn't subjective. It was completely objective. It was a contract. He said, according to the contract, I'm not really responsible for that. You are. I sat there for a moment. I prayed. I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me of an article in the contract. And so I text back. I was like, I hear you. But according to Article 32, <laughs> he was like, touche. You know, it's like, but, but contracts, listen to me. In a contract, you're always looking out for your own interests. That's not how it is in a covenant. In a covenant, you're looking out for the interests of the other person. You're not looking out for just your own interests. In a marriage contract, like a prenup, it's like, I don't want to lose my Tesla or my, my fish tank, right? It's, you're looking out for yourself. Fish tank, who comes up with this stuff? Oh, I love this, I love this. Um, the, the, th the thing, thing about it, somebody asked Ruth Graham recently, this is like, this is a few years before she passed away. Uh, they, they asked her, they said, that Ruth Graham is the wife of Dr. Billy Graham, Reverend Billy Graham, like the, like the greatest evangelist, like just a legendary guy, amazing, unbelievable. Um, they asked Ruth Graham before she passed away, they said, um, have you ever considered divorcing Dr. Graham? And she said, absolutely no, uh, absolutely not. But murder, yes, I have. I've, <laughs> But, 
But a covenant, whenever you go into a covenant, it is, it is for life. It, it, it's, it's not like, hey, if things don't work out. And that's why God, when he establishes his relationship with us, he doesn't draw up a contract. He creates a covenant. The interesting thing about a covenant is, is typically like a covenant would be bound by blood. And that's why, that's why let, me, let, me, let me figure out how to say this in an appropriate way. That's why the, the way that the consummation or the way that the covenant of the marriage was established was through consummation, through the act of sexual intimacy. But you and I live in a cultural moment where we've not only devalued marriage, but we've elevated promiscuity and we've devalued the actual delivery system that God uses to consummate and to put into, uh, in, into place the covenant of relationship. That, that's, that, that's what we've done in our culture. And God looks at that and he's like, this, is, this was not my design. This is not my, my plan. By the way, the reason why Jesus' blood had to be shed on the cross was to enact the new covenant for you and I. And, and Jesus' blood that we, we sing about, we prayed, we received communion a few moments ago. You know what we were saying? We were remembering the covenant that we have with God that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Leaving is physical. Forsaking is emotional. And God says, I will never leave you physically and I'll never forsake you emotionally. The saddest thing is that in many Christian circles, we hold to this idea of divorce is not an option and we never leave physically, but we forsake emotionally. And there are Christians littered throughout churches that are still locked down, but they're checked out. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That was not in my notes. So, so here's, here's the question right here. Here's the question right here. What, what do, if we're going to have healthy marriages, um, what are the principles that we need to put in place so that we can live a life where we enjoy our marriage and we're flourishing. And these principles are not, I'm going to share them principle-based so that they're not just for your marriage. These these two principles actually work. They work for your your relationships with your friendships, with family, with everybody. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 says this. Look at this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what they sow. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that sinful na- or from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Remember, we're talking about divorce and marriage if we don't. But here's the first principle. You want to have a great marriage. Here's what I'm discovering. I'm not perfect in this, but you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You, you sow kindness to your spouse. Guess what you're going to reap? You'll reap kindness. You will. You, you, you sow honor, you'll reap honor. Now, if that person is fundamentally broken and there's major issues, they need spiritual formation in their life, they need to be arrested by the grace of God, that's a different story. But I'm talking about where two people are in a marriage and they're, they're trying to live towards God, trying to live this upward calling towards Jesus, honoring Jesus with their marriage. Listen, if you sow anger, you're going to reap that. If you, listen, if you sow disrespect, you're going to reap it. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. What, what are you sowing? This is my question to you. What are you sowing into your spouse right now? I, I got this picture as I was praying about this today, walking into a home, and, and it's filled with either beautiful flowers flourishing everywhere or roots and, and, or, or, or weeds and, and just things just like, just they look terrible. 
My question is, if, if we were to walk into your home, close our physical eyes, and have eyes of the Spirit, eyes of the Spirit of God, we could see things in the spiritual realm, what would we see in your home? When we walk into your bedroom, where you and your wife, or you and your husband, where you, where you spend the majority, a lot of your time there, what's in that room? That represents, that represents your sexuality, that represents... Uh, the way that you, that your intimacy towards one another more than the physical, what's in that space? Would we see beautiful flowers flourishing and grow? Would we see, would we see that or would we see, would we see just roots and would we see, you know, thorns and th- what would we see if we walked in there? If we walked into your children's rooms in the spirit, if you could see, I know this is an abstract thought, but if you could, if we could walk in, what would we see in your son's room or in your daughter's room? Because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you don't like what you're reaping, you need to check what you are sowing. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Um, I want to read this passage of scripture. It's long, but it's good to read. I read this at almost every marriage that I, I, uh, ceremony that I perform because I think it gives you a good picture of what it is that we should be sowing. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, Paul says this. It's such a beautiful model for marriage. He says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Uh, Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor, Paul says, since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, Paul says, and I don't pretend to even understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way that Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, two or one, remember and how each wife is to honor her husband. So, so look at the things that he says there. You want to you wanna sow the right thing in your marriage? He says, sow respect, sow honor. Do this out of reverence for Christ. Even if he hasn't earned your respect, because you revere Christ, respect. Show honor, unqualified respect, unqualified honor. Honor empowers, dishonor disables. You want to empower your spouse to, to be great? Just honor, just, just unload the honor on them. Just, I mean, just tell him how good he's looking every once in a while. Just be like, you look very handsome, you know. <clears throat> so submission, not a popular word, but it's a Bible word. So submission, what does that mean? I'm yielding and deferring to you. So submission, so understanding. Seek to understand. Don't always seek to talk. And, and I struggle with this one. My wife would be trying to tell me something. I'm like, and she's like, will you just listen? But what she really means is, will you understand what I'm saying? Right? So understanding, so support, so leadership. Husbands, so leadership into your home. You're like, I don't know why she always, she never respects me. Because she needs you to lead her. 
Lead her the way Christ leads the church with grace, not domineering. So leadership, so sacrificial love, so selflessness, so life-giving words, encouragement. Don't just, listen, don't just, don't just celebrate what she does, affirm who she is. This is what I love about you. I love this. You're so brilliant. You're so intelligent, right? So healthy parental boundaries. This was in the text. A man will leave his father and mother and will be joined over here. What is that saying? There are healthy parental boundaries, all right, this is a big one. A lot of marriages, I've done marriage counseling where a lot of marriages are, are fighting just back and forth because one of, the, one of the spouses is always including their parents into decisions that they're supposed to be making together. So that, right? So Christ-centeredness. The, the list goes on and on and on. But you reap what you sow. My question for you today is, what are you sowing into your marriage right now? My wife challenged me with this so bad. She asked me last year, she said, you know, you read all these leadership books and church books and all these ministry books. She was like, why have you never read a book on like being a dad or being a husband? I'm like, oh gosh, I hate those kind of books. (laughs) (laughs) So on my book reading list this year, I have a husband book and a dad book. So (laughs) sewing. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. I'm gonna hurry with this is you don't just reap what you sow, you, you reap where you sow. You plant a seed over here, you're not going to get a tree over there. Where are you sowing? Some people are sowing in certain fields, wanting a harvest in other fields. I want a great marriage, but all I'm doing is sowing into my career. I want, my, I want, the, I want intimacy and, and my marriage to flourish, but all you do is sow into your kids. It's God first, then my spouse, and then everything else can fall in place. Where are you sowing? Are you sowing in your career? Are you sowing into your kids, sowing into your friends, sowing into your church? I know pastors that sow more into ministry than they do into their own marriage or into their own family. What field are you sowing into? Because not only do you reap what you sow, you reap where you sow. Jennifer and I, we made a decision um, you know, we try to do date night once a week. We've always talked about it, tried to do it. We haven't always been perfect at it. Matter of fact, we got in an argument one time at someone that's in the room here. We got in an argument at their home at a dinner party because we were like, you know, we haven't been doing our date nights. You know, it's like one of those moments. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to give you a date night. All right. You know, anyway. <clears throat> so what we found is that like with every stage and season of life, as it shifts and changes, you have to adapt. You have to pivot. You have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. If you're not flexible, you get bent out of shape, right? And so you have to be flexible and you have to adapt. And so, you know, we have another kid, another kid on the scene. Like you're not just going out on a Thursday night when you have uh, three kids at home and one's eight months old and they're screaming their head off, right? You just don't do it, right? And so we discovered, okay, what is our rhythm now? Our rhythm is on Fridays is my day off. And Novi goes to bed. She takes her nap at like nine o'clock, 930. So now our date night is pushed up to then. So we'll take, we try every week to take a little walk because we need the exercise. It's good for the skin, right? Then we go to this little place that she loves. I don't really like it a whole lot. I like it a little bit, but she loves it. Sacrificial love, selfless. Got to get your Avo toast, girl. Got to get that Avo toast. Got to work it. I do love it. You're right. I'm just, I, I love it. I love it. It's amazing. That didn't work out so well, but so we do that. And here's the thing. You know what we're trying to do? We're, we're trying to say, you know what? We want to make sure that we're not just sowing into our kids. We're not just sowing into our careers or into our ministry. We want to sow into our marriage. We're not perfect at that. 
But I'm telling you, you will reap where you're sowing. So my question is, are you, where, where are you sowing? Are you, are you sowing more into your job, more into your church, more into, are you sowing into the thing that really, at the end of the day, listen, you, every, people get fired, people get laid off, new pastors come and go. There'll come a day where, listen, 25 years from, actually 40 years from here, I'm, I'm gonna be the pastor here for 40 years, okay? A, okay, there will come a day like Dr. Billy Graham that I talked about earlier. I remember Pastor Dino, my mentor, saying, it's the strangest thing. Man that's preached to like more people in a live audience, like just shared the gospel with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people at one time, millions and millions of people. But guess what? The last few years of his life, he's by himself with his wife. Then she goes to be with Jesus and it's just his kids. No crowds, no fanfare. Just the Dr. Billy Graham. And, and the reality is, is that your job, if you're sowing in that field like crazy, I promise you this, most likely your boss or those employees, they're, they're, they, they, in 25 years, they're, they're probably not gonna be by your bedside. They probably won't. You know who hopefully will? Your spouse, your children. Where are you sowing? Let's sow in the fields that will reap the greatest harvest that we could ever imagine. And goes on and he says this, he says, but divorce, he says in, in Matthew 19, I'll pick up on that verse where he says uh, to them, he says, Moses permitted divorce only as a, a, a concession. And I, wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I spoke about this before we wrap up because there's some of you maybe in here today that you, maybe you are in that place in your marriage where you're like, man, they've been unfaithful. And that's what the concession was, unfaithfulness. They've been unfaithful. And so I'm like, there's my out. You know, I just started thinking about that today. Jennifer and I, we have these friends that we shared life with for years, and they had a very challenging marriage, military, uh, husband was in the military, and job situation, kind of unstable, just a lot of dynamics and complexities. And the husband had some, some things from his past he never dealt with, found freedom in, and ended up being unfaithful to his wife. It's dear friends of ours. And she had every right, according to scripture here, to divorce him. And she decided divorce was not an option. I'm going to work this out because of my kids. And I'm just, we're, going to, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to be committed. If you're, if, you're going to, if you're going to work with me, let's work on this thing. And it took a while. But trust was rebuilt. Honor was brought back into the marriage. And their family is flourishing now. They use their, their testimony to encourage other marriages and other, other people. But I was thinking about that today because in Matthew 19, um, he says this, he says that, that divorce, because of adultery, um, he says that, is, that adultery is now grounds for divorce. But here's what the statement I wrote down is that adultery is grounds for divorce, but it's also grounds for forgiveness. And I really sense that, I skipped through some content, but I sense that I need to make sure I say that today because I believe that there, maybe there's someone here today, maybe you've, you have that in the, your past in your marriage. And you've tried to stick it out, but you're still struggling through releasing grace to that person. I just want to encourage you that God can, he can, I've seen him do it. He can bring healing. He can bring grace. He can help you to, to bring forgiveness to that person and to restore that marriage. I'm not sure who that's for, but I wanted to share that with you. And the last scripture is this, is Malachi chapter two, verse 16. God says this, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, here's the thing. I want to read that to you for, again, biblical perspective on marriage. 
Scripture says God hates divorce, but you need to understand God does not hate divorced people. Church for years has put this stigma on people that have walked through divorce. And that is not Sozo Church. God loves people no matter what your status is. As we talked about last week, single or married, single again, divorced. God is not mad at you. God is not angry at you. God opens his arms to you and he says, I love you. My mercy's fresh. My mercy's new. From this day forward, have this biblical perspective around that. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.